Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Coming up on episode 69 of the Hangtime podcast. It's a Linsanity world and we're just living in it. Dave Zirin of The Nation joins to discuss the impact Jeremy Lin is having in New York and beyond. And special Valentine's Day guest Kevin Love comes on to talk about the Timberwolves and the art of grabbing rebounds. All that, plus Charles Barkley gives some insight into his Rising Stars Challenge picks, coming up on... Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? Ooh, you think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallup Anderson. Stop it now behind your head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Good day to everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, my partner in basketball crimes in New York, sir. What How are you, man? Good, man. What's up? Uh, Lynn Sanity around here. <laughs> You're going to have to interrupt Lynn Sanity for a day to, uh, you know, do Talk a little... Talk about Jeremy Lynn some more? Yeah, do a little Valentine's <laughs> Day, uh, you know, dance with when, the wife. When is, when is Valentine's Day? Come on now. <laughs> Val Lentine's day. Exactly. <laughs> we can listen. We can go every direction you want to go with this, but it's all about Jeremy Lin. I'll say this though about Valentine's Day. <laughs> On Saturday, I had to Google when Valentine's Day is. <laughs> Oh I, knew, I knew it was coming up. I didn't know if it was always on a Tuesday or if it's always on the 14th. <laughs> so on Saturday, I Googled it, and I discovered it's actually today. So yeah. I, I am prepared. I'll say that. Yes. Lang, does your wife listen to this podcast? Apparently not. <laughs> Wifey does not want to hear this. All she wants is gifts, my man. So make, right. sure, make sure you handle the business. Micah, how are you? Uh, got our producer, super producer, Micah Hart. And uh, our engineer back there, Jarrell, all doing the business as usual. Um, gentlemen, are we all as caught up in the Jeremy Lin phenomenon as everybody else? I know, I, I couldn't stop reading about it, um, watching stuff about it, and uh, and just kind of being neck deep in all of this drama over the weekend. Like I know you went to the game Friday night against yeah. the Lakers. Um, we hit on it briefly last week. Yeah, I mean, we and we only – Touch, I mean, it was funny. We talked to Mark Spears last week, who's from the Bay Area, so we had that perspective. But I mean, you were in the arena. What, what was it like? In uh... it was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was awesome. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not a Knicks fan either, and the, but those Knicks fans were just going crazy, and especially because there was so much build up to it. And then he came out and had like nine of the first 13 points or something like that at the beginning of the game, and the right. Lakers had to call a timeout. Uh, by the end of the game, somebody said, you know. The game started with the Knicks double-teaming Kobe, and it ended with the Lakers double-teaming Jeremy Lin. <laughs> um, 
and, and the fans were just going crazy. And then, you know, the the big irony in this whole thing is that the Knicks, you can't watch Knicks games on TV in New York right now because this <laughs> this thing between the MSG network and Time Warner Cable. So right. they're, they're not actually on TV. So, um, so Saturday night, my wife was out of town this weekend. So Saturday night, some of my friends were like, hey, let's go, uh, let's go watch the Knicks game somewhere. So we went to a sports bar. It was standing room only to watch a <laughs> T-Wolves-Knicks regular season game on Saturday night. And the place was going crazy. And then, you know, they were down at the end, and they came back, and they won the game. And, and people are just going crazy about this uh, right now here in New York. Yeah, it, it started out, you know, and you weren't sure how big a deal it was going to be. Like, you know, if this if they kept this up, you know, would, it, would the buzz – you know, keep going, and now you look up. He's on the back pages every day. Um, I'm hearing he's going to be on SI, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Um, I mean, this thing is, this thing is unreal. I can, can you imagine what it's like being Jeremy Lin going from, you know, I wrote about this over the weekend. He went from reasonable obscurity. I mean, people people in NBA circles knew his name, yeah, but they certainly weren't talking about him. But now he is. I mean, he's all over the place. He's on. News shows, I mean, that people are talking about the political impact, and we're going to get into that on the show today, obviously. Uh, it's Valentine's Day, it is Valentine's Day, and we're going to cover all bases and uh, show you some major love here on the Hangtime Podcast. Lang, did, when you left Madison Square Garden after that game, you would, everybody's talking about Jeremy Lin, but what were people saying about the Lakers? I'm sure, the you know, the basketball diehards were talking about this Lakers team and what that, you know, what do they look like to them now? What do you think of the Lakers at this point in terms of where they're at and where they're headed? Um, you know, I saw the Lakers in person out in LA about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and they look better to me now than they did then. Mm -hmm. Like they, they've improved. Like they, back, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they just looked really, really out of sorts. Um, but to me, I, you know, they still have the same, issues that are kind of facing them like we said this on friday before the game i was like you know what the one thing they got tonight they have a point guard going up against them and they can't defend point guards this is the one thing that has been like their achilles heel for for almost a decade now mm -hmm. um and that's ended up being kind of what did them in they couldn't stop jeremy lynn and and so i still think they have some issues they're facing them bynum looked like he uh uh, was a little more comfortable, but still not 100% comfortable in the post. Mm -hmm. Slows them down a little bit. They throw it into him. Um, and Kobe ends up bailing him out most of the time. Um, and that's a pretty good guy to have bailing you out. <laughs> uh, I was really impressed with Kobe Friday night just because um, – and then against Toronto over the weekend, you know, just – you know how what a beating this guy takes and, and how beat up he is and how um, he's in his 16th season and he's still able to get his shot off against pretty much anyone – um, and make it most of the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we spend so much time, you know, talking about Kobe and his place, yeah. um, you know, in, in the history of the league and, and, you know, where he fits among the greatest of all time. I thought it was interesting. I've been getting a ton of email from people uh, about the MVP ladder, the Kia Race the MVP ladder on, on NBA.com. Right. They're, they're they're upset with me in a, with, with the ladder because they don't – feel like Kobe deserves to be in the top three or four of the MVP race. And I'm thinking, how how could Kobe not be in that conversation as long as the Lakers are a, a viable team? I mean, how do you how do you not put Kobe in the conversation of the 
the three or you know three or four best players in the game when every single person you talk to I talked to scouts Sunday night uh before the Hawks heat game I was in a press room talking to a couple scouts you know one of them longtime scout um Jimmy Powell uh who you've seen people have seen all over uh and we were we were just talking about the league and players and this and the other. it was startling to me how many times the conversation turned back to Kobe like and and I never forget that when I'm talking to fans or in the context that executives, scouts, coaches, they hold Kobe in the same regard that I'm assuming they, you know, that the coaches at that time held Michael Jordan in and that you can talk about other guys who are coming up, the, you know, climbing up the ladder of, of success in the league or other guys who are, you know, becoming superstars, whatever. But Kobe's always kind of the standard bear and, I don't know if you find that in the, in the conversations you have with people around the league, not necessarily fans, but people that work in the league. Kobe is the guy that they that everybody's measured against right now. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I don't know if, to your point about is Kobe an, a viable MVP candidate? Yeah. Is a guy is a guy on a team that's four games over five hundred going to get an MVP award? Yeah, exactly, is, exactly. You know, um, and that's what the Lakers are right now. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if I, maybe I should be mad at you too. <laughs> Join the legions. Join the <laughs> legions. Um, but anyway, uh, enough of enough of Kobe chatter. It's, it's Valentine's Day, and we said we were going to talk, you know, Valentine's. So our, our first guest that we we got to bring on is a, is a, one of the favorites on the show here. Um, a guy who always has pointed opinions, and it just so happens this is the perfect storm, Lang. He's a Knicks fan. He's caught up in Lynn Sanity like everybody else, and he has more than a few opinions about this this whole phenomenon that's going on. Uh, Dave Zirin, sports editor of the Nation, you you can find him on edgesports.com, One of the you know best voices out there, you know not only about sports but how they relate to the larger culture, is joining us on the Hang Time podcast, and we we'd be fools not to get his take on this whole thing. Dave, first of all, thanks for joining us. Um, hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. And uh, when you look at this Lynn story, and, you know, it's morphed in a matter of a week from a cute little Cinderella story into, you know, all these other ramifications beyond basketball, what is what about it sticks out to you in terms of the, the power this story has over a lot of people right now? I mean, what sticks out to me more than anything is that it's part of a tradition in sports. And that's why I'm not surprised at the level of hysteria, because in sports there's always this contradiction between this idea that, oh, we're all colorblind here, we just want to see the best athletes do the best they can, we don't notice ethnicity, all we notice is whether or not you can play. But then when somebody steps on the stage who defies every stereotype, every bit of racial detritus that hangs around our brain, it becomes an ab- a neuron bomb. I mean, it explodes. And you could go back and look at Jack Johnson was supposed to be too lazy to be the first African-American heavyweight champion. He was supposed to be too undisciplined. Why was he supposed to be those things? Because he had black skin. He actually had a very cerebral style, and that shocked people. You know, Jackie Robinson wasn't supposed to be able to take the pressure of being, of being the person who broke the color line in Major League Baseball. But he not only took the pressure, but he performed with a flair that people really hadn't seen on the baseball diamond before. I mean, these are things that are like shocks to us. Martina Navratilova going up to the net 
and playing with that muscled style that no one had seen in women's tennis before. And this is what you get with Jeremy Lin. It's not just that he is of Asian descent. It's that he plays with a style and a flair that's like not only every fun point guard you ever played with in your entire life, but it also defies what we would expect one of the first Asian-American players uh, to, to play like. I mean, I think there is a stereotype that floats in our brain that if we could imagine or put together what the first Asian-American hoop superstar would be like, he would be somebody who played with like a robotic discipline, who was the sort of person whose face was this mask that never changed. And instead we got this guy with a blue tongue jumping around <laughs> and going nuts on the court and playing with a kind of joy that is only accentuated by the fact that his teammates seem to treat him like he jailbreaked all of them, <laughs> like like he got them all out on parole or something. And I think that's another thing that's so striking about it is that he not only sort of unlocked his own game, but he's unlocked an entire team that's the most high-profile team in the league, arguably, that everyone had high expectations for that's been playing what, like a big steaming load of horse manure. So all of these things together, plus the New York angle as well, has made this the neuron bomb that I think we maybe should have seen coming. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for being with us today. And, uh... <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'm uh, excited, though. I it's amazing. Fan. I had a Bernard King jersey uh, nailed to my wall growing up. And that first thing I saw every morning was a King jersey. This is the first time since Bernard King I've been excited about this team. <laughs> well, that, was, that's my, that was my next question for you is as a Knicks fan, how much do you think this hysteria is kind of just because the Knicks have been terrible for the last decade? I think it's – this is what my point, though. It's not just that they've been terrible for the last decade. It's that they've been unwatchable for 30 years. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even like high points of the Ewing years, you know, obviously making the 94 finals, taking it to seven games. This, they were the most unwatchable team in an era of unwatchable basketball. <laughs> and they, they, were, they were the apex of horrible. And, you know, you watch those games as a fan and you bled with them and all the rest of it, but it wasn't joy. I mean, it was Patrick with his aching knees and tiny hands. Uh, this is a different kind of ball that Knicks fans really have not seen since King was dropping 50 on back-to-back -back nights and Rory Sparrow was running the points. So, I mean, I, I think that is a huge part of it, but there's a subterranean part of it as well, a little subterranean part of it. And I have a friend, and she's Filipino, and she was telling me about how growing up in an all-white town in Illinois – uh, her brother had like eight Bruce Lee posters up in his room. And I was like, wow, Bruce Lee. And she was like, yeah, because it wasn't just that he was a badass. It's that he had swag, too. And I think that, you know, a lot of us who played ball, on, especially outdoors, I mean, we've been having our ankles broken by people of Asian backgrounds for decades. <laughs> and to have somebody actually rep that on an NBA level and to do it for the Knicks, I mean, that's, that's huge. Dave, are you worried at all? Uh, I noticed, you know, in the last, you know, two, two, three days, now that the story has, has traveled far beyond the sports pages and, you know, the sports shows, you get these people chiming in and, you know, saying things that are, you know, trying to m make it relate to a, to a larger context that start making me nervous. Um, you know, because you have people commenting about Jeremy Lin and his story that don't really understand the basketball roots of it that you just spoke about. You know, the fact that 
it doesn't matter. You know, basketball is in a lot of ways that unifying force for any guy that's going to the park. It doesn't matter what color you are, what you look like. Guys that show up to play blacktop basketball are, are diehards, are purists of the game. Are you concerned at all that that this conversation is is getting outside of the realms of of the people who really understand the core of what Jeremy Lin's all about? Honestly, I think that these are the growing pains that we have to go through because we haven't confronted this question of Asian Americans in professional sports. Of course, they've existed, but this has been an education for me, too. Mm-hmm. I remember Rex Falters, the shooting guard for Kansas. Yeah. I didn't know he was he was half Korean until I had people email him. didn't give him a proper shout-out in my own Jeremy Lin article. Right. I mean, things like that. I mean, it is this has been a, the, an invisible grouping in U.S. sports. You know what I'm saying? Like, even when they've been there, they've really been there. Right. right. And I think it, it's, there's nothing wrong with the growing pain. I mean, people have to be smarter, smart enough to check their racism. And Whitlock did apologize for his statement. But, people, so, I mean, the racism piece, people, I mean, it's just give me a break. But when it comes to sort of like the sort of awkward questioning and trying to understand where he is, I see that as a necessary uh, growing pain, a necessary birth pain, as we become accustomed to a multicultural reality on the highest stage. Because this, is our, this has been our reality in our schools, on the courts, in the workplace. Uh, but now at, at the NBA level, that's what's so cool about sports. It becomes a collective reality. So if you live somewhere where, that, where the Jeremy Lins of the world don't come out and ball or your kids don't play with them after school or what have you, now you have to actually confront that and try to understand what it means in the context of a larger tapestry um, as a nation. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, here's what I'm concerned about, though. I'll tell you, man, I'm much more concerned about two other things. Uh, the first is that Jeremy Lin's body is going to break down, like, yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Like, very soon. I heard from somebody who was a reporter friend of mine. He was in the locker room after the last Knicks game. He said Jeremy Lin you know, was walking around like he was, you know, Kareem now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, just like that, that body has not had to take 40 minutes a night. And then the second thing I'm worried about is what everybody else is worried about, and that's what happens when, uh, you know, the Lex Luthor to Jeremy Lin Superman <laughs> comes back to the team, and you know who I'm talking about. That oh, is yeah. Mr. Carmelo Anthony. Oh, yeah. Well, Dave, as a Knicks fan, Jeremy Lin hysteria aside, do you feel like this team is is this – something now is this a team that's on the way or is this a team that is you know kind of found found superman and they're just going to ride him until he breaks down and then go back to being a you know a a, a 500 team i mean the, the impossible first of all they'd be lucky to be a 500 team i mean their <laughs> team is 11 and 15 i believe they're they're ranked eighth in the eastern conference uh they don't make the playoffs this year Everybody gets fired. I mean, I wish we could fire the Dolans, for goodness sakes, but since we can't fire them, everyone's going to get fired. And the the, the big questions, I mean, I, I think they're a playoff team right now if Jeremy Lin stays healthy. Right, right now they're a playoff team. Uh, the chemistry issues are going to be weird, I think. You, you have to think, just based on knowing anything about the Phoenix Suns, Steve Nash and Amari, that Amari will blend with this like a kid in a candy store. Uh, all right, Stoudemire is going to be the happiest person 
um, on you know on Seventh uh, Avenue where the garden is. <laughs> Um, but that, you know, he's, I'll, I'll say you, man, like we talked about this before with Amari, he's going to be like, uh, like my Jewish cousin after Yom Kippur, like it ends and you get to actually eat some food. Uh, sorry, Amari Jewish joke. I had to throw that in there. Um, sorry, man. But the the bigger issue is going to be Carmelo. I mean, my goodness, it's just, that's the, that's the question at the end of the day. I mean, if, if the ball goes to Carmelo, and he holds it and holds it and holds it, and players, their shoulders start to slump, and Mike D'Antoni starts looking like he's going to you know, catch a cab, then <laughs> the team is going to really, really suffer. I mean, the thing that amazes me about watching them is, like, the team treats the ball like it's a hot potato. Like, I don't feel like Lynn is dominating the ball on offense. Yeah. Like, he's getting it in people's hands, and then, bam, Jeffries is passing passing well. I mean, Tony Douglas is passing well. It becomes contagious, and what's so cool about that is I feel like that's universal, too. I mean, I never played serious, serious ball beyond high school, but we all know what that's like when you have a good point guard, and it just makes everybody better, and it makes you want to pass more. That's a very universal basketball vibe, and Carmelo, for all his skills, I think is the antithesis of that vibe. And so he's going to have to figure out how to change his game in his late 20s with all of his money and all of his rep. I mean, that's going to be – that's really, frankly, the missing question in all of this. No question. You know what, Dave, and, and you mentioned the way his teammates have embraced him. I've been watching back, you know, looking at some of the videos and some of the stuff uh, Jonah Ballow at uh, com has done, kind of some inside stuff. Jared Jeffries, he hugged – Jeremy Lin the other night, and I'm, I'm telling you, I can't remember last time I saw players hug each other like that when they didn't win a championship. It was like mm-hmm. this heartfelt, I'm so glad you showed up, you know, hug. Do you mm-hmm. do you think that that locker room needed Jeremy Lin as much or more than Mike D'Antoni and his coaching staff needed him in terms of just a different breath of air to blow through that locker room and get the players back excited? Desperately, desperately, desperately. I mean, I was writing this before I even knew Jeremy Lin was on the roster that the Knicks were like an Ingmar Bergman film. I mean, it was just so depressing to watch them play. Like, they played with a with a joylessness that made you not want to watch them. And it made you, like, actually dislike the game of basketball. I mean, that's how sad they were out there. Like, just a depressing operation. Uh, and given the money and resources that have gone into the franchise, just made it all the worse. And the worst was honestly seeing Amari, because Amari was like a bolt of joy last year when he first got to the team. Yeah. And the big, I was to me one of the big surprises of last year um, is that Amari had, uh, there's no other word for it, but he had the stones, he had the grapefruits to come into New York and be like, I'm here, and embrace that role of king of the city and play like it too. And I thought that was amazing. But then you saw it when Carmelo came, this question that plagued Amari in Phoenix, this question of the pecking order. Mm. Where am I here? You know, and that's been kind of the most depressing part is to see Amari's joy drained along with the team. And I, I hear what you're saying about Jeffries hugging him, except you could have replaced Jared Jeffries' name with other guys too. <laughs> I mean, Tyson Chandler, I mean, jumping up and down. And, and Tyson Chandler is one of the real good guys of the NBA. And so it's like to see him happy, you just feel good about the whole team because he's such a chemistry guy and such a glue guy. And that's so great to see because 
I mean, this I wrote this in a column, but I'll repeat it now. Like, for all the stereotypes that Jeremy Lin is supposedly breaking, I think the number one stereotype that he's broken is that NBA players are sour about their jobs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because he's got them looking like, serious, the look on their face, you feel like being a New York Nick right now, I mean, you'd be the luckiest person on earth. Well, and I'll tell you, Dave, I, I, I went out Saturday night with some friends of mine who are Knicks fans, and uh, one of the guys told me that Friday night after that Knicks game, he uh, he <laughs> he went home and he couldn't sleep, and he was waking <laughs> up every couple hours, and he finally got up at like 6 a.m. and started Googling different Jeremy Lin T-shirts and jerseys he could order, and um, I, I think Knicks fans, have, especially here in the city, are, are going crazy about it, so... Dave, we'll let you uh, go celebrate I your new this, point guard. look back, Lang. I just got to tell you, we're going to yeah. look back on this, and I think the biggest question we're going to have is, how the hell did a Mike D'Antoni team operate for this many years without a legit, serious point guard running mm-hmm. this team? Well, they didn't operate very well. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like what, what the hell were they thinking and not getting someone? And I think the other thing people are going to realize also is that it's not about uh, the way Jeremy Lin looks, the color of his skin, his background. It's the way he plays the game in the D'Antoni style, which made the Phoenix Suns so much fun to watch with Steve Nash. That's what we're seeing right now in New York. No doubt. Dave Zirin of the Nation, man, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. Edgesports.com, you got to check it out, the website. And uh, we appreciate you, man, and talk to you soon. Oh, my privilege, guys, anytime. All right. Thanks, Dave. Huge opinions as always, Lang. You can't argue with with some of his statements. Some <laughs> others, I'm sure, will get some calls. But, you know, that's why we love him. Uh, before we take a, a step in a different direction, Lang, um, the BBVA Rising Stars Challenge is coming up uh, on Friday night of All-Star Weekend. That is the game formerly known as the uh, the the – Rookie sophomore. I mean, we've called it some of everything. The rookie challenge, the rookie sophomore game. Uh, there's going to be a draft, though, this year. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, TNT analysts. You see them every night on, on th- every Thursday night on uh, Inside. Uh, they're going to be drafting the players. There's 18 guys, and they get to sit back and play GM for a day. Uh, it's nice of them to, to do this since you and I weren't available. Exactly. This year, um, and 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 funny thing is, Micah and I have already drafted. Okay, uh, you can find it on on the Hangtime blog as well as All Ball uh, on the All Ball blog on NBA dot com. We've already done this. I mean, we this business is done already. Blake Griffin was the number one pick. Who was the number two pick in your draft? Well, Micah had the number two pick, and he, he might ha- he might be able to explain his logic behind it as well. But he had the number two pick. I took I took John Wall. I just figured you want to get as much talent as possible, and there's really no other bigs that can compete with Blake anyway. So I figured I'm just going to try to get who who would be the best guys to have in a, in a pickup game, especially like an exhibition. So I went Wall. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and the the way it broke down, Lang is is uh, it's pretty interesting. You know, when you start looking at the the names on that list, the the mindset that you have going in and trying to determine, okay, who do I take? Who would who would best fit this type of game? And who would best, you know, who looks best together? Because normally, when you're just dealing rookies against sophomores or whatever, you don't have the luxury of of really plucking certain players to go on that team. But Charles Barkley had some thoughts about it as well. Um, and, and let's listen to Chuck's uh, theory behind it, and then we'll come back and talk about ours. 
Uh, Shaq got the number one pick, so I'm going to have to react to what I'm going to have a list of, of the players, obviously, but he's already said he's probably going to take Blake. So I got to get somebody to match up with Blake, uh, but it all depends who's left on the list. I'm going to pick a good team, but they got to play well. You know, I, I like my chance against anybody when it comes to basketball knowledge. I do. I think I, I, you know, I've been around a long time. I played for 16 years. I've been on television for 12 years. So at least, I mean, that's nothing I haven't ever seen in basketball. But it really comes down to what Pat Riley says, voluntary cooperation. And I just hope that the players I get, uh, they win for Coach Fratello. I don't know, Chuck sounded a little stopped up there. I don't know, you know, but uh, his I point, like how seriously he's taking it. I know his point. He was so, you know, he's so matter-of-fact about it. You know, you make me a little nervous how serious he was. Uh I, I just feel like, you know, everybody's wondering, is this the right thing? You know, did they do the right thing, changing changing it up like this? I got to admit, I, I love the idea. I love the 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 process of, hey, you know, you, and like you said, I would have preferred it was Lang and Sekou doing it. But uh, I love the, <laughs> the idea of, you know, hey, let's, let's draft teams and, and put these guys out here and put them in a, maybe a, a little different environment instead of pitting the young guys against the, the second-year guys. We we so Mike and I when we did it, um, I had the first pick. Mike had the second pick. We just went right down the row. How did you get the first pick, by the way? Um, I I know we flipped a coin, and uh, oh, is that how? Because I thought it was just like I'll take the first pick. Okay, yeah, maybe that's how it happened. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the first pick I took Blake Griffin, um, and then Micah came back with John Wall. All right. Then the genius I am front office man I am. Uh, Ricky Rubio was sitting there staring me face. I took I like Ricky that. Rubio. Mike so you took... got a so you got a Blake Blake Rubio one two. Oh it gets punch. even better. Yeah, it gets better though. Micah takes Demarcus Cousins. Okay. I take Kyrie Irving. So wait a second. So so Demarcus Cousins could probably match up with Blake, right? Yes. Yes. So I could I, that's a, I, I see I see where Micah was going there, but Kyrie Irving and Ricky Rubio don't seem to be complimentary players to me. No, but in for the purposes of this game, and you drafted them back to back. Yes, uh, you, there's another genius GM that drafted uh, many point guards back to back. He's he's currently leading a renaissance in Minnesota. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta you gotta ride with me here, though. Now, like, so I'll, your I'll team's just, gonna be good in four years. You're saying? No, my team's gonna be a showcase team on Friday night at All Star Weekend. Listen to the rest of my squad. I'll run down my squad. And, Run down team hang time and team all ball. Listen to this. So I got Blake Griffin, Rubio, Kyrie, Paul George, Derek Williams, Evan Turner, Tristan Thompson, Tiago Splitter, and Markeith Morris. Micah has John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Greg Monroe, Kemba Walker, Marshawn Brooks, Gordon Hayward, Kawhi Leonard. He tried to write in Jeremy Lin, but it's actually Landry Fields and Brandon Knight. And I'm saying I don't care about the the tenets of basketball and being true to the game and the purists and what they might think. I need to put on a show because nobody's going to remember in three or four years what the, who won or who lost. They're going to remember how many spectacular, exciting plays did they see in the BBVA Rising Stars Challenge. And I'm here to tell you, on paper alone, I win. I mean, look it's, look look at this compilation as as of stars. Plays. Yes. Maybe so. You can't but argue I would, with that. I Lane. think they might. Uh, Mike's team might have a chance of actually winning the game. Ah, who cares about winning? Well, here's the thing. 
Uh, John Hollinger said this yesterday on ESPN. I'm going to have to agree with him. Is there any way that Jeremy Lin doesn't end up in this game somehow? And if so, just because you got first pick, I feel like I get him. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like the second part of that equation. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Kyrie, I know Kyrie has had some concussion issues. Uh, so if we need a replacement player, for you know, so Kyrie can get his rest because we need him rested. Um, Brandon Knight has a fever. Jeremy Lin gets in, he's going to be replacing uh, He was somebody. telling me. Yeah, he's got to replace somebody. Uh, and we would take him. I mean, we will take him on on team hang time. But see, I've got I've got the uh, I've got the Kentucky connection going there with with all those guys. I feel like I've got some chemistry. Yeah, he's he's all amped about the Kentucky connection, and he's bragging about how Ashley Judd's going to show up to the game and sit next to the bench line. <laughs> I told I told him he's pipe dreaming big time. This is not happening, you know. But uh, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of selection Shaq and Charles make. I saw their All Star reserves ballots. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure did they get more than like two or three right on any of their any of their reserve lists. Yeah, um, it wasn't. Uh, you know what? All, every single guy on there and Ernie had picked Josh Smith to make it. <laughs> so did we? Yeah, that did. Yeah, we had him too, and he didn't make it. So. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we all get a demerit for that. But interesting thing, you know, my question is: in a couple of years, to kind of stoke the the interest in All Star Weekend, do you let players start picking the reserves or? turn the reserves portion of the, you know, the all-star, Sunday's all-star game into a draft. I mean, it would be interesting to to play with the, you know, the the system a little bit. I'm not sure uh, if the players are would be all for that or not, but I think it would be interesting. It would certainly cause a little ruckus and commotion if you if you went to a different system. Keep keep the fans voting on the starters, of course. All right. But the reserves, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it would be interesting to see – uh, what kind of breakdown we'd see from the, you know, from I the players so that they chose. I think so too. And then maybe you have like the coaches pick two people or something or, you know, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I don't, they, they, we can, we can talk maybe about the that. Coaches might not even care, you know, like <laughs> they clearly don't care. Off. You've seen their picks. I mean, yeah. you've seen some of their selections. I don't know. I don't know how much time they put into it, but you know, when we, when we have our uh, sit down with David Stern, NBA commissioner, maybe we bring that up to him. I know we asked him for some other things the last couple of times we talked to him and, we're yet to see any of it. But, you know, who knows, Lang? Maybe maybe he likes us now. Yeah, hold on. Let me check with Gerald and see where we are. We're good? All right, yeah, let's go. Go ahead, Lang. Um, Sekou, since today is Valentine's Day, <laughs> we thought we'd find a little love on the program today, and we got uh, our, favorite, our favorite power forward, uh, Mr. Kevin Love. Kevin, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good man, good. I, I I can't imagine how many times you're gonna have to hear that cheesy uh, intro oh, today. <laughs> yeah, man. Everybody has a different puns for my name and wants to say everything about Valentine's Day. So I've I've heard it a few times in my life. So it's 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 all good. I figured you're a big boy. You can you can deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I can deal with it. <laughs> how are you doing? How are you feeling right now? I know this schedule is crazy for for you guys. Yeah, it has been crazy for us, and uh, you know we've been playing you know eight games in twelve days, five games in six nights. You know we, we had our back to back to back here pretty early. I know after All Star break we have another back to back to back getting right into it. So it's been a it's been a 
you know, kind of a crazy season so far, but we've been able to have some success out there on the floor. You know, we've been, lost uh, our last four games, so we need to get back into a rhythm and, and back on the same page. But we feel like we've been playing good basketball. But as far as it being a condensed season, it's uh, an abbreviated season. It's been uh, pretty tough on our bodies, even uh, with us being such a young team. Kevin, you said something uh, last week on Inside with uh, Ernie and Charles and Kenny that I thought was really interesting. We kind of talked about it on the show last week, but we really didn't go deep into it. They were asking you, like, you know, where you thought you fit in the power forward landscape in the league right now. And uh, and you said what I think every guy is supposed to say if you get asked that question. You said, I think I'm the best. When you When you go out night to night now, you know, around the league, are you getting that kind of treatment from the opposing team? Like, you know, you, you put up numbers is one thing, but you know you know the respect is there when you go out there and the other team is treating you like the dude. I mean, are you feeling that night after night when you see some of these other teams? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm approaching every game feeling like I have the upper hand, and I, I'm definitely uh, approaching the game like I have the respect. You know, a lot of teams are coming with double, triple teams even now, and uh, a lot of their opposing defenses uh, are, are game planning for me. So I can, I can feel it out there, and, and a lot of – uh, you know, my personal growth uh, out there on the floor has has come from uh, you know seeing those those uh, different scenarios out there and, and growing from them. So now I'm going to have to be a, learn to be a better passer, especially out of uh, Rick Allen's offense. So I'm really picking uh, you know Brad Miller's brain and also you know Coach's brain as much as I can in order to become a better all-around player. But uh, as far as feeling. Uh, or saying I'm the best power forward in the game, yes, I think that's something that you know, you know, Blake would say, or or, or Dirk would say, or Lamarcus Aldridge would say, and, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. So it's it's something that um, it's 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 a lot of you know, it's a mentality thing, and uh, you know, that's my mindset going into every game. Kevin, you you mentioned personal growth, and you know, two years ago you averaged 14 and 11, and then last year you you kind of really broke out 20 and 15, and now you're up 25 and 14. What is that just? experience in the league or what did you do to to make that leap to become such such a productive guy like that uh i think just uh working on my game in the off season adding a few things uh you know really every year in the off season and getting better just uh taking my spots better on the floor um you know adding a few different moves get, being in better shape i think it's it's a uh, it's a lot of things, and just being a consummate professional, um, not only during the season but uh, throughout the off season as well. And um, you know, for some people, a uh, a longer uh, you know off season can hurt them. But for me, you know, I looked at it as an opportunity, glass half full, to to get better and, and add a right. few more things and, and come in to training camp as, as in as best shape as I possibly could. So um, I think you're seeing me have a lot of success because of my teammates as well, and also the coaching staff. So it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things, but I'm just you know, having a lot of success because I'm so confident out there and you know, I've worked on my game and put in the work. Did you, did you make like a, an attitude change at some point in all that? Like, I mean, you know, you always hear rebounding is about effort and, and jumping up, you know, four or five rebounds from one season to another is a, is a pretty significant uh, step. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was, was definitely attitude and, and part of it was knowing that um, – I belonged. And a lot of it had to do with uh, USA basketball, too. Being around those caliber of players day in and day out and being around Coach Krzyzewski and the team that uh, Jerry Colangelo put together, that was also uh, huge for me as well. But And then, you know, I have to say a lot of it was opportunity. I think I went from playing, you know, 28 minutes to 30 minutes all the way up to, you know, 35, 36 minutes. So a lot of it was opportunity and, and being a big part of the uh, the offense uh, when Kurt Rambis was the coach. Kevin, was the bigger adjustment for you? I know people always ask guys, what's your welcome to the NBA moment? But 
was for the the bigger adjustment for you coming into the league and just learning how to how the league works as a rookie or taking that next step and going from a guy who plays and then a guy who becomes an all-star and one of the you know best players in the league what was the the bigger leap i say the bigger leap was definitely coming into the league because it's, it's such an unknown i didn't know what to expect and, and you know once i started to play games and once i you know got through a season or two i i figured out you know like i mentioned earlier where to pick my spots where to have success and uh, you know, even off the court, you know, what foods to eat, where to get that nap in before the game. So it, it just uh, takes time. It's, there's a, a you know learning curve in this league, and you just have to, you know, like I mentioned, be a consummate professional, try to learn and soak in as much as you possibly can and, and pick veterans' brains, pick your, your coaches' brains. And, you know, if you do that, most of the time you'll be better off. So for me, uh, you know, that's what I did early on. I was able to have success soon thereafter. I, we we can't have you on unless I ask you about my main man Ricky Rubio. Um, you know we saw him years ago. I saw wrote about him in Slam, and I knew he would be good, but I really didn't expect he'd be this good this fast. Uh, what's it been like playing with him? Are you a little surprised about how quickly he's kind of stepped into this? I think everybody's a little surprised. I know that our organization has, has had us back since day one, uh, you know, myself included. I've always been a believer uh, since I saw him play uh, in Madrid against us uh, with the World Championship team in right. Spain. So he's a, he's a type of player that's he, – it's really refreshing to be around him. I've said this all year long because he just loves the game so much. He just wants to, you know, continue to, to work on his body, get in the weight room, get in, get in uh, to practice, uh, you know, 30 – minutes to an hour before just get up extra shots and, and just continue to work on his game and get better so it's kind of like early on people said he couldn't you know, shoot jump shots now you see him you know coming off screens and taking one dribble pull-ups and two dribble pull-ups so he's he's a, a player that just seems to keep getting better and you know we love having him here on the team and for me it's it's been great because you know he makes a uh, scoring passes he really sets uh, players up well and you know i'm usually on the other end of that pass so i'm yeah. loving it kev you've been uh in the midst of, of Ricky Rubio hysteria, what does that Jeremy Lin sanity look like to you from uh, afar? I mean, I, I'm sure you recognize some of the craziness, but, I mean, what what do you think of Lin and what he's doing right now? Uh, I think he's he's been phenomenal. Um, you know, really just uh, stepping into a, a situation that's, that's, that's very unorthodox. I mean, you, you look at... You look at uh, you know their two primary scorers and their their primary superstars uh, go out and and Stoudemire and Anthony and and somebody has to step up and it happens to be him and uh, you know it's kind of it's a beautiful thing to see I think it's it's great that uh, a player like that can can step up and you know nobody really saw it coming I think it gives a lot of other guys hope that uh, you know if you keep yourself ready and uh, you're you're a professional and day in and day out you work as hard as you possibly can and, and stay ready for an opportunity anything can happen and you're seeing the New York Knicks having a lot of success so it's uh it's a I think it's a great thing for this league I think it's a great thing for for Jeremy Lin and uh you know you got to be happy for the New York Knicks well tell us about a guy you know getting ready and, and improving uh your teammate Nikola Pekovic uh when you guys were in Jersey a couple weeks ago I was out there and he, he went 27 and 11 uh I think a lot of people probably didn't know much about him before this season but he's getting big minutes now and he's been pretty uh pretty dominant at times this season what, what can you tell us about him i'm a little bit afraid of him <laughs> yeah i think everybody's a little afraid of him our teammates included so you don't want to uh you know brush him or, or steer him the uh, the wrong way uh but uh, uh, I, i've said since uh since day one with him especially uh you know last year having him on the team he's one of the 
you know, t- definitely at least top five strongest guys in the league. He's one of those guys you put in when you're in the bonus. You have, you know, four or five thousand in their squad, and you put him in just to duck in and get that foul, get to the free throw line. So, um, you know, we definitely enjoy having him on the team. He's another guy that continues to get better, works extremely hard. As you can imagine, he stays pumping that iron, stays in the weight room. So, you know, we're very happy to have uh, Nicole on the team. And the best thing about him is he, he has such a t- soft touch. So, he is so big that if he gets fouled, he's going to go uh, to the free throw line and knock down his free throw. So, you know, you've, you've seen an emergence of, uh, of Nikola Pekovic, and I don't see any signs of him stopping. Kevin, you guys have, have taken such a leap forward this year, and then you look at the standings, and you're still fighting to get in that playoff mix. What's, what's the ceiling for this group, this specific team this year, um, in terms of where you can get to by the end of the regular season? Yeah, well, that's it's tough to say. I mean, we're we're knocking out the door, and you know, what do we have? Sixteen losses now. I think in you know seven or, or eight of our, our our sixteen losses, we've we've lost by five points or less. So we're right there. We're knocking out the door, even against some of the top tier upper echelon teams in the league. So we just need to continue to to get better. Um, you know, strive to get better day in and day out. I know. Uh, you know, uh, practice time doesn't really come at a premium this year, but we kind of have to learn on the go and learn on the fly. And with such a young team, I believe we're the youngest uh, team in the league or one of the top two or three, if I'm not mistaken. So it's it's, it's a little tough for us, but we're not going to look at it uh, in that light. We're going to look at it as an opportunity for us to, to get better throughout games and, you know, really just, uh, you know, step up every night. So um, it's at the end of the season, uh, we don't know what our record's going to be. We can just live in the present and play game by game. And, you know, right now we're focusing on the Charlotte Bobcats uh, on Wednesday. Kevin, are you trying to get a Gillette endorsement <laughs> or a Chick endorsement deal or something? Are you talking about with the beard or what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else are we talking about? Uh, no. Yeah, um, well, I had the right guard. I was, in, I was in the shower for the right guard endorsement. <laughs> so maybe, I don't know, maybe Gillette will come calling here pretty soon. We'll see. <laughs> Well, listen, man, we appreciate you joining us. We know you're busy as always. Uh, good luck to you guys the rest of the way, man. We'll see you in Orlando All-Star Weekend. Wait, wait, Kevin, last thing. It, you, you know, today is Valentine's Day. You got any tips for us? Like, <laughs> no. Hey, no. I played that game early on. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I don't have any tips for you. You got you to gotta figure that out on your own. You've been on this. You guys have been laying and sacred. You guys have been on this earth longer than me. So, come on. <laughs> yeah, neither one of us have had a whole lot of success. That's why we're asking for tips. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, oh, man, man, we appreciate you. Now, take Thanks, care, Kevin. Kev. All right, guys. All right, now. Kevin Love Lang joining us on the Valentine's Day edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I don't want to. I'm done. I don't want to ruin this day anymore. We gotta. Get, we gotta get out of here. We gotta let that. Let that be. Uh, appreciate all of our guests today. Obviously, uh, Dave Zyron, uh of the Nation and uh, EdgeSports.com coming on and in. Talk plenty of Jeremy Lin, and hopefully we'll get him on here at some point soon before the before Lin Sanity you know fizzles out. And uh, Kevin Love of the Minnesota Timberwolves coming on to join us on the Hang Time Podcast. Lang, next time I talk to you, you know we'll, we'll maybe still be talking about this stuff. But the next time I see you, we'll be in Orlando at All Star Weekend. So I can't wait. Um, try and do some you know repair work there today. Uh, around the house make sure you do right on, on valentine's day my man i got a honey do list i gotta knock out some items on you and um, me both so go ahead and get those tickets to harry potter world and uh <laughs> let me go have some butter beer down there and uh <laughs> no doubt about it no doubt all right well listen we will uh we will get it in next week my friend maybe we can scratch up uh, another big time guest for the hang time podcast let's see what mike is doing see if we'll he's got mike anything yeah see if he's got anything up his sleeve for next week uh 
Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you again next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. Thank you.